Welcome to The Occasion. I'm your host, Jennifer Perrine, and this is episode one. The Occasion is a themed poetry show featuring interviews with poets who offer a selection of their greatest hits, read poems written specifically for the occasion of the show, and recommend some of their favorite poems by other authors. So, a little of something old, something new, something borrowed, and something true. It's February 2020, and the theme for this month is Leap. Our guest tonight is Brittany Corrigan. Brittany was raised in Colorado, but has called Portland her home since 1990. So, happy 30th anniversary of your Mm -hmm. leap to Portland from Colorado. She's the author of a poetry chapbook, 40 Weeks, and a full-length collection called Navigation. Her newest book, Daughters, is forthcoming from Early Press next year and features persona poems in the voices of daughters of various characters from folklore, mythology, and popular culture. Welcome, Brittany. Thanks. Good to be here. Glad to have you here. So this month's theme is Leap, and I'm hoping you can start us off with a poem or two of yours so we can hear how that theme has shown up in your poetry in the past. Yeah, sounds great. So I thought I'd start you off with a poem from Daughters, the upcoming manuscript. And um, as you said, these are poems in the voices of various daughters. And so um, looking at the theme of leap, I chose one that takes some leaps, not only metaphorically or subject matter wise, but also leaps in time. So this is Time Traveler's Daughter. It's completely annoying. My mother says things like, You shouldn't go out with him. It's not going to end well. I'm just trying to keep you from heartbreak, honey. I'm using my power for good. You should be thanking me. Maybe you could get us a woman president, I tell her, instead of meddling with the high school dating scene. She gives me that disappointed look, the one that means I'll never understand. I'm working on it, she says. It's complicated. She never takes me along claims it's not good for my developing brain. Mom, I say, if my mind can wrap around Euclid and Einstein, it can probably handle hanging out with your 1980s big-haired friends watching MTV. Sometimes she says things like, maybe I should take you back so you'll appreciate your cell phone and the internet and cars that run on french fry oil. Whatever, I tell her. Bring me back a pterodactyl egg and I'll stop asking. But I know it's not like that. She can't bring anything with her. If she could, my dad would be here now, helping me with my physics homework, taking me out on clear nights to watch the stars. She won't admit she visits him, but I know. Instead, I watch her disappear over and over, hope she'll survive her wormhole this time, hope all her atoms are still her. Mom, I ask, what are you fixing? She says, time's not like that, honey. Not like a needle and thread. Not something that mends. That's great. I'm curious about the, there's a couple of turns in the poem where, I think one where the the father is introduced, Mm -hmm. um, and for so much of the poem, he's not even present. I'm curious if you know what brought him into the poem, or... A lot of these poems, I would come up with the the daughter whose voice I wanted to write in and not necessarily know what she would was going to have to say. And um, the ones of these that were my ended up being my favorites were the ones that sort of I started inhabiting her and writing about her, the ones that sort of surprised me. And so um, at the beginning, I didn't know that she was going to have a dad that 
mm-hmm. had died, and that sort of um, I came to it in the writing of the poem. And so I think he comes in later, not only as a surprise to me during the writing process, but then as a surprise to the reader. Um, and those are sort of what I'm trying to do in a lot of these poems is give this little turn or surprise at the end to the reader, this little leap takes them somewhere that maybe they weren't expecting the poem to go. Is that usually your process where you're not quite sure where you're going and some sort of surprise arrives along the way? Or do you have something more premeditated? Or? Sometimes. I do carry poems in, uh, around in my head with me for a long time before I get them down on paper. And um, so sometimes I have a general idea of where they're going to go, but I the endings are always my favorite and I don't necessarily know where they're going. So I, I write some fiction too, and that's been a different experience for me because I have to know where I'm going before I start with that one I've found. But for the poems, I like to leave it a little bit more open. And so for me, it's a more sort of organic process and I like finding the endings as I'm working through the poem. Hmm. That's wonderful. Yeah. So just this this particular poem you said that's from Daughters. Mm-hmm. Um, could you talk a little bit about where that concept for the the book as a whole came from to mm-hmm. write this series of poems? Yeah, so that came as a surprise too. I um, I just happened to write one called Scarecrow's Daughter um, for um, a reading that was supposed to be about like feminist poetry, and um, I just wrote one, intending that there was just going to be one, and then. I wrote another poem about Bigfoot (laughs) and um, from his perspective, and it totally wasn't working. Mm -hmm. And um, I was like, well, what if I made it his daughter? You know, (laughs) so then there were two of them (laughs) and they ended up being completely accidentally the same length um, with the same amount of stanzas. And I was like, okay, I think this is a thing now. There may, there's maybe a series. And, um, I had gotten recently interested in the persona poem. I had done some in college as part of my senior thesis that I wrote, but then I had abandoned them for many years and did fully confessional, very personal poetry and then attended a workshop that just happened to fall on my 40th birthday. And in that workshop, it was a weekend long, and we were asked to bring one poem, one unfinished poem that was about some sort of difficult material that we were Mm. working through. And we spent the first day workshopping that poem. And then we were, the exercise for that evening to bring back for the next day was to take that same material and try to write it as a persona poem. The idea being that perhaps we could get at things that were difficult to write about on a personal level by putting them in someone else's voice. And Mm -hmm. so that sort of rekindled my interest in the persona poem as a way into difficult material. So between that experience and then all of a sudden these two poems that sort of came out similarly, I decided, all right, it's a thing. I'm going (laughs) to write a bunch of daughter poems. And I started keeping lists of which daughters I wanted to visit. Mm. So you, you were committed at that point. It was committed at that point. <laughs> have, have you gone back since then to writing more more personal or confessional poems, or have you kind of stayed in, more in the realm of the persona? I haven't stayed in the realm of the persona, but mm-hmm. I haven't gone back to fully confessional poems either. My current project is all poems um, dealing with climate change and the Anthropocene age, so I'm finding mm-hmm. there's sort of a mix of the personal and sort of maybe like a third person omniscient, but not really in a persona. So Mm, kind of a different approach altogether. Okay. (laughs) As you were were sculpting all of these into a book, I was curious about whether it felt risky at all to to write a book with such a tight focus where, you know, if you look at the table of contents, it is just, you know, all of these folks' daughters and (laughs) um, thinking about doing that. It could 
I mean, it has the potential to be repetitive, but I think in in reading through some of your poems, I found that it's it's repetitive in the way that a refrain or a rhyme is repetitive or a chorus in a song where it's mm-hmm. it's the, the joy of kind of returning to something. But I also am curious if there was a point where you were hesitant at all about continuing with, with that process. And... Well, once I got several poems in, I set myself a limit. I said, there's going to be 50. It's going to be a full-length manuscript, but for sure it was a little bit of a risk because I knew that um, it would be hard if I wanted these poems out in the world, it was going to be hard to um, find a home mm-hmm. for something um, so specific, a project, yeah, <laughs> a project book, um, sort of less desirable in some ways. But I, I felt really engaged by the material myself and the voices, and was um, and the the process of trying to find um, the different voices within the poems, as well as um, different subject matter that they were tackling. That I felt like if they were varied enough in that way that hopefully they'd be interesting to readers. Um, they do have this um, structure to them that that helped me stay on track writing them. They're all six stanzas of six lines mm-hmm. each. So I sort of gave myself this confining, <laughs> let's make it harder. <laughs> so, yeah. But then really tried to get it um, subject matter that wasn't necessarily my experience, but it was something I had something to say about. And so in that way, I hoped that that it would engage readers too as they were going through that it wouldn't feel repetitive in a bad way but rather mm-hmm. you know I know what to expect now I'm going to listen to another daughter but I have no idea what she's going to say yeah so, yeah when, when you were talking there about the the six by six mm-hmm. form it, do you how, what do you think about like that kind of constraint on poems using like a form that's in this case, I guess, imposed by you, right. um, <laughs> or just imposed by a kind of historical tradition. Mm-hmm. Do you enjoy writing through that process? Does it bring you to something new, or is there something else about it that right. you turn to? I enjoyed it in this case. I don't normally do that, so this was really the first time I had set that kind of constraint mm. on myself for a project, and for me, it was useful in sort of being able to contain their stories, I mm-hmm. guess. I sort of it helped me start and end them. It helped me figure out sort of the the flow of their stories. And I did start to vary it a little bit, so you folks will see when it's published. <laughs> um, some of them are in the shapes of of what they're about. So Lepidopterist's daughter is in the mm. shape of a butterfly, and there's an alligator wrestler's daughter in the shape of an alligator. So they're still six by six, but they don't look visually the same on the page. So I started to play with that a little bit more as a way to not only challenge myself, but not make it so... If, the, if it was going to be a repetitive subject matter mm-hmm. in terms of all the poems being about daughters, at least visually it was going to look really different on the page as you made your way through the manuscript, even though it was still six by six. So. Yeah. Set some challenges <laughs> keep me interested too. And you said, in terms of a this being a, a sort of project book, mm-hmm. you know that you were you knew that there might be challenge and trying to find a good home for it, mm-hmm. but it is coming out next year, correct? It is. <laughs> yeah. What was that process like of trying to find a home for the book? So I did sort of the the circuit that we do as poets of sending to all of the contests. But um, I knew about Airly Press here locally in the Pacific Northwest and uh, and was a, an admirer not only of the, the books that were put out by the press, but also the model of the press being a collective um, and um, the opportunity to participate as an editor. And just knowing what the press had put out before, I 
had a good feeling about it that it was going to be a good home for daughters and that and that a, a press like that might be more receptive to mm. to this kind of unusual format or um, structure or more of a project book than maybe some other traditional university publishers would have been mm-hmm. yeah well, I'm looking forward to the book coming out next year <laughs> and so that folks can get to read the whole thing and see how all of those poems fit together. Mm-hmm. Did you want to share another poem with us? Something, yeah. something else from something your, your past different. repertoire? Yeah. yeah. So I thought I'd share a poem from um, another chapbook manuscript that I, um, that I have that's all poems that, that respond to items in the news. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Another, this again was sort of a way to get right about some difficult subject matter. Mm-hmm. So, um, and this one I chose when thinking about leaping and thinking of sort of um, Robert Bly's leaping poems. And uh-huh. um, yeah, so and looking at like the images that sort of um, leap from one to another, sort of building this strange, unexpected landscape but also because this one has to do it's called meditation on the butterfly effect and so having to do with how one one uh thing might influence the next or Mm -hmm. not or what if i'd done things differently and sort of the leaps that you can take in your brain when you when you sort of think about what if i had done this differently or what if this had happened differently you leap ahead to where that might have taken you instead so uh, this is meditation on the butterfly effect What if the child has a fever, the mother bending in to wake her as the heat rises up from her skin? What if the child stays home, the sleep-damp curls swept wayside by the mother's touch? What if the mother calls in to work, cradling the phone at her earlobe, cradling the child in the crook of the other arm? What if the mother takes off her heels, lies down on the child's tousled bed, What if the mother doesn't get on that train? What if she stays with the child? What if the child keeps sleeping? What if the man keeps sleeping? What if the alarm doesn't sound? What if he's dreaming of octopi, their arms wrapped about one another in the ocean's deep pull? What if he oversleeps? What if the taxi horn wakes him? What if he grabs his suitcase and yanks on his clothes and stumbles out of the house, the tentacles of the dream still fresh on his brain, his suitcase rolling behind him, his coat flung over his arm? What if he's late to the terminal? What if he never gets to the terminal? What if he's stuck in traffic because it already happened? What if he just heard the news? What if I just heard the news? What if I just dropped my daughter off at school? What if my heart doubles back to her while I'm driving to work? What if the cars in my country just keep driving? What if the news keeps unfolding while I drive? What if I don't stop the car? What if I still go to work? What if I've left my son at home with a fever? What if my son is still sleeping? What if my husband's still sleeping? What if he hasn't heard the news? What if the day keeps happening? What if it all keeps happening? What if they still strap on bombs? What if they still push luggage carts through airports, still walk onto train cars, still explode? What if the mothers still lift the fever-wet curls of the sleeping children, but the children still die? What if the man dreams of octopi and misses his flight, but the travelers still careen with window shards and nails and debris? What if the man with the bomb changes his mind? 
remembers his mother's tending, carries the residue of childhood in his pocket, but detonates anyway. What if the mother? What if the child? What if the man? Hmm. Wow. There's so much propulsion in that poem mm-hmm. just from that, all the, the, the what ifs. And there's so much movement too. Just, I'm really interested in the movie you make from that, that kind of third person, but not too distant mm-hmm. description at the beginning. And then there's the introduction of the eye and then it zooms way back out again. And uh, just, yeah, mm-hmm. just curious about that, that choice or mm-hmm. sometimes it's not a choice. The poem just takes us there, but that uh, move in, movement in the poem from those different perspectives. And... Yeah. Um, so, and this didn't start as a project either. Um, so I, um, I really like um, Rattle Magazine's mm. um, weekly Poets Respond feature where um, uh, you submit a poem on Friday night, um, by Friday night, and it has to be in response to something that happened in the news that week. Um, and then it's published on Sunday, and I really liked the the immediacy of that. Um, and I, but I, it wasn't something I normally wrote about mm. happenings in the news. Um, and so uh, I forget which one first took me there, but I I wrote one. I'm like, well, I'm going to submit one. I've written something about this this week, and then I I started writing more of them. And so for me, the 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 easiest way into them was to put myself into them and so and how in this one in particular how that news affected me and I found that for me that was a really effective way not only this one happened you know takes uh, imaginings of all these people and what they might be going through but I'm in it too and so that for me was a um was a way to sort of process this material as we're all processing these these horrible things that may happen in the news but we're processing them through the little microcosms of our own little daily lives and so that was most interesting to me is to to take that dailiness and then expand it from there into mm-hmm. into what was happening in the larger world. Yeah. And there's the, that choice, too, in the poem to, like, you kind of reserve the, the, the news as we might mm-hmm. read it in the newspaper for mm-hmm. the end. There's mm-hmm. so much of this space that you can feel, like, the suspense of, of all of those what-ifs mm-hmm. is cumulative and... Um, you can feel how something terrible is going to come, but you don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and just just curious too about, yeah, kind of that withholding and then revealing at the end what's why there's so much um, sort of nervousness and wondering among these these different people in the poem. Mm-hmm. I, I think I do that in most of my work, actually, is that I reserve this little turn for the end. Mm-hmm. It happens mm-hmm. in the daughter's poems. It happens in almost all of these almost all of these poems that are about the news, which again, I think is just part of my process Mm. in sort of, I mean, it's the, it's the finished poem and it's obviously gone through lots of revisions, but I think it still maintains the way that I came to it, which was the sort of slow discovery or reveal of what happens toward the end. Mm. I really, the ending is my favorite part, (laughs) my favorite (laughs) part to write. And um, because I like when I'm listening to poetry or reading poetry, that's, my favorite poems are the ones that at that last line they make they make me gasp or they mm. make me tear up or when I'm at a you know reading listening to it the whole audience goes you know mm-hmm. sighs a little at the end I just live for that too when I'm reading to other people is creating that creating that emotion at the end which you know hinges on that last sort of turn yeah yeah you've done it very effectively in that poem. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so for those of you just joining us, you're listening to The Occasion on KBOO Portland, and I'm Jennifer Perrine, and we're talking tonight with Brittany Corrigan. I asked Brittany to write a poem specifically for the occasion of the show, so you all are about to hear a brand new poem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it is brand new. So again, when uh, thinking about this theme of leaping, um, something, um, so my husband, um, who's an attorney, but he's also a songwriter, and he and I had a while back challenged each other to both write a poem about um, La Pelle de Vide, which is the call of the void, which is that feeling um, like when you're walking over a bridge and you think, well, what if I just jumped? Mm. Um, or, you know, so mm-hmm. on the standing, um, it's often with heights, you know, standing at the top of a very tall building. And what if I just jumped? And that sort of pull that you can't explain and it's kind of scary and you know you're not going to do it. But mm-hmm. it's called, that the French call it La Pelle du Vide. Mm. And we had challenged each other and he wrote the song and I never wrote the poem. And so when mm. this theme came along, I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write that poem now. So. Um, and it fit into my um, my current project with working with the with the Anthropocene and climate change. So that's what helped me get into into this poem. So La Pelle du Vide. Carefully, with a pair of kid-sized scissors, I borrow from my daughter's art supplies. I snip each round opening in the six-pack yoke. Imagine the sea creatures I'm sparing. Turtles whose leathery necks won't bulge and split, but will tuck neatly back into their shells. When I think of us here together in our swing around the sun, our floods and fires, our stores of coal and oil, the distance we put between us and those we hate, our fondness for small furred things and light through trees and standing at the ocean's edge, the distance we close between us and those we love. It all feels like a blur, the round rock of our world chasing a darkness that expands and expands and expands. When faced with dizzying heights, our human selves imagine jumping off the roof of a building, a bridge, a cliff. But mostly we don't jump. Mostly, we step back, invincible. We retract our fear inside us, shell our hearts. No wonder we hurtle our way through extinction after extinction, grazing the edge. Standing in my kitchen, holding the severed rings as they dangle and twist kelp-like over the bin, I am imagining the world without us thinking how we are staring down the void, barely able to resist its existential call, every other living thing on earth watching us, wishing we would hurl ourselves in. Hmm. So there's so many moments in there that I'm thinking about. Um, I think there's this point in the middle where it starts to to get into that concept of the desire, the, the pull of the void and mostly we don't jump Mm -hmm. Um, and so it brings in this other element too of thinking about of suicide in the midst of all all the choices not to jump that Mm -hmm. it's this subtle lure rather than a real impulse Um, and then the kind of desire at the end for the world to want us to just be gone Mm -hmm. (laughs) that that might be better (laughs) 
And I know you've mentioned a couple of different times in this conversation, you know, difficult subject matter and both of those sentiments of thinking of mostly we don't jump and also Mm -hmm. the world would prefer if it were devoid of us Mm -hmm. um, feel like really difficult things to think through writing about. I guess what what pulls you towards writing about those kinds of things? Mm -hmm. And maybe I'll just start with that. Yeah. What pulls you towards that? So... After I finished Daughters, which I'd been so immersed in for five years, and I, I, I felt a little devoid of them when they were done. Like, I was like, I'm 50, I'm done. And, and I didn't know where to go next. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, there's this sort of rising necessity now to start writing about these issues. Mm-hmm. And I think for a long time... Um, I've been reading lots of articles and things lately about how, you know, a few years back there was this, like, where are all the, where is all the writing about climate change? This is, this is important. Why aren't we writing about this? And so I, I started, I was thinking more about that and I was like, I think this is what I want to, this is what I want to write about. And, and then to start thinking about, well, how do you, how do you write about (laughs) this uh the direction our world is going and feel like it matters when you're Mm -hmm. writing it and so that's what I've been sort of reading and thinking a lot about right now is it uh it does take some sort of um leap again I guess to Mm -hmm. um to spend time on art um and um talking about these issues even when things feel disastrous or apocalyptic or whatever whatever it is they feel that it's still important for us to be having these conversations and moving them forward um and maybe we can still do something about it and still and using art as a way to feel like it's not too late Mm -hmm. do you feel like like poetry or art that that addresses climate change or or the sort of crisis that we've created do you think it does help us to i don't know to move us towards changing our, our patterns of behavior or towards greater hope? Or is it just naming the facts? <laughs> Maybe a little bit of both. I mean, yeah. like, I hope that, I mean, that's the hope, right? That's even though like that particular poem's super dark. I don't know if mm-hmm. that's going to make me feel hopeful <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> about anything, but I think the process of making the art makes mm-hmm. me feel a little hopeful because I know there's mm-hmm. a lot of other writers and artists that are engaging in the same conversation. And so I do feel like I'm sort part of some sort of larger conversation where we all are aware of this we are all mm-hmm. naming this and hopefully we're all trying to figure out how to how to stop it or um or at least meditate on our our role mm-hmm. in this and and what we've done so uh yeah <laughs> <laughs> hopefully it's hopeful at some point but um I, I do think it's important to start having the conversation yeah so, yeah and I don't know that it has to be hopeful. Yeah. That's that's um, that's one of those things that I'm always interested in when I think about poetry that's related to to social justice or environmental justice mm-hmm. is is whether the part of our goal is hope um, or whether it's provocation or witness mm-hmm. or these other kinds of things that are also necessary but may feel very despairing sometimes. Yeah, and it's important to to get those into the larger consciousness too. I um. I have some many years back. I started a practice of posting a poem a day on Facebook, mm. um, just for you know my friends, and it was a nice way for me to start my day by reading a few poems and picking one that I liked, and then just sharing it. And I um, and I know people are reading them, and people don't always comment on them, but I 
a few months back, I posted one that I don't remember what the subject matter was, but it was dark. It wasn't pretty. Um, and my, you know, my great uncle, who is on Facebook, despite being, you know, in his 80s, didn't care for it and said something to, along the lines of that. And we ended up having sort of a little conversation there where I was like, well, art, and who, no one said poetry had to be pretty. No one mm -hmm. said it had to be beautiful. Sometimes it's just a way and to talk about something or to, you know, in this case, talk about difficult material or engage people in in talking about that material yeah um it doesn't have to be beautiful yeah yeah and and even <clears throat> still sometimes it is i think even you know in the poem that you yeah. just read it's 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 naming things that feel feel very disturbing and mm -hmm. honest and also you know there are these moments of the the beauty of like just the the people in the poem appreciating the natural mm -hmm. world or at least visually appreciating yeah. the natural world and the other images of just, you know, the, the language itself, the beauty in that. I think there's maybe a tension between the, uh, the, the terror of some of the subject matter and the, the beauty of the language itself or the beauty of the images that are sort of set in place. Yeah. And so maybe that's part of what makes it palatable to, to think mm -hmm. about or to read about or to engage in a conversation about is because it's, it also has that element of hitting you emotionally or mm -hmm. or um, sort of the appreciation of whatever artistic construction has gone into, into making it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So <laughs> I'm interested in this practice that you mentioned of posting a poem a day on Facebook. Yeah. What what was the genesis of that? Do you remember? No, <laughs> I don't remember what got me started, but I've been doing it for many years now. Oh, okay. I think because the notes feature on Facebook. I may be the only person left who still uses that feature. <laughs> um, that's how I post them. But um, I think it was, you know, at the time it was, a, you know, Facebook was this fun thing and there mm. was all like games and whatever. And so I'm like, I'm going to share poetry this way. And and then I did it for so many days that, I, that it became a practice, right? Mm. And so that now it's something I look forward to every morning and I uh, it's become sort of the way I start my day. Mm -hmm. So even if I don't do any writing that day or any reading that day or something that feels to me creative or artistic, at least I've, I've started every day by reading a handful of poems and mm -hmm. posting one. And so for me, that's a really nice sort of daily, consistent sort of form of, you know, meditation or or starting starting my day, not only sharing something with myself yeah, <laughs> that helps me get going in my day, but then hopefully sharing it with other people and amplifying other voices. And it keeps me reading a wide variety of, of work. Mm -hmm. um, I collect things that come my way. To, you know, <laughs> so, so that's great. Yeah. Do you feel like people uh, outside of the one uncle that you mentioned, <laughs> do, do you feel like, feel like people engage with uh, what you post? Do they respond Not to always. it? Or, yeah. So I'll be surprised sometimes or hardly anybody will seems to be engaging mm -hmm. with it. But then I'll be surprised by there'll be something that strikes a chord in somebody enough to, to say something, mm -hmm. which is always to the effect of I read these every day. Mm. This is <laughs> I decided to say something this time. So so even if nobody's reading them, it would be worth it to me to do. But I know they're out there. Yeah. <laughs> they're out there being read. And so um, I like being able to put poetry out into the world in that way. Because, you know, maybe a, a chunk of my friends or, mm -hmm. you know, followers are poets. But the rest aren't necessarily. And But they're they're engaging with, with poetry on maybe a daily or weekly or yeah. once in a while basis. And that's, 
great, I think, too, for them to discover that if it's somebody who doesn't read poetry all the time, like, hey, this is this is something I actually enjoy reading, mm-hmm. or this spoke to me, or, you know, is accessible to me in some way. Yeah. Or, or this, you know, that's my experience, too, or whatever it is. So, yeah. I like that you've mentioned all of these, you know, so that, that personal practice that you have, you mentioned rattles, poets respond, mm-hmm. just all these um, kind of cyclical or, mm-hmm. or um, yeah, some habits or ways of sharing poetry or reading poetry or engaging with poetry that kind of come on this regular rhythm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm wondering if, if that's, I don't know if, if that in particular is something that you're drawn to outside of like even before you start doing it for your mm-hmm. for yourself and your own practice, or if there's other things like that that you've seen that you've really appreciated yeah. or enjoyed. Um, I hadn't really thought about it in that way, but for sure I think I'm drawn to things that, that have that sort of repetition mm-hmm. or, um, yeah, or circling back. I mean, I tend to do it in most of my work, create some sort of, sort of circle, mm-hmm. <laughs> whether it's in the poem or now in, in the stories that I'm writing, I definitely have that inclination to circle back at the end. But I think even in uh, the kinds of work that I like to read, I do like poets who who do use a lot of repetition or explore images in a variety of ways. Mm. Like I love Natalie Diaz and I've listened to her give craft talks on on image and she talks about revisiting the same image over and over and over again and how okay it is to do that Mm -hmm. um and to to find new ways in and new ways to express and it's okay to repeat yourself and sort of really um get to a deeper place in that image even if you're writing about the same subject matter or the same imagery over and over and over again that was really that was really compelling to me when i listened to her talk about that and i feel like a lot of the work i'm drawn to both poetry and fiction has that sort of that mm. sort of element to it and sort of repetition and circling back and mm-hmm. exploring things sort of over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. Or in a series of things, <laughs> I write things in series. And so, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, the compulsion to, to write or the reason that we return to writing is because there's something that we're obsessed with, right? Mm-hmm. The, either it's subject matter or there's imagery that we just keep, yep. keeps entering our consciousness for some reason and might as well explore it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> just returning to the theme of the show a little bit, mm-hmm. I'm curious about how you think about leaps in re- relationship to creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, if there are particular things that feel like leaps for you um, in mm-hmm. your creative work or in your creative career yeah. moments that have been leaps. For sure. So I think the daughter's poems were were definitely a leap for me because they um, they gave me permission to write about things that weren't my experience, and I think that can be really mm-hmm. hard to do because I don't I don't want to co opt someone else's experience, but there are things that happen to other people that I have something to say about, and so they in that way it did feel sort of like a, a leap to me not only to sort of to get into somebody else's header experience but also to sort of take the risk about writing about something that I may not have personally experienced mm-hmm. um, and explore it in that way so for instance one of the daughter's poems is about domestic violence which I haven't experienced in my life but that's an issue I you know have have something to say about or feel very strongly about. for me a, each one of those poems that was about sort of that more difficult subject matter that maybe wasn't something I knew personally was a leap for me to decide to I'm going to write about this anyway and how do I do that in a way that's 
authentic and respectful mm-hmm. and and hopefully um, adds to that conversation or yeah has something to say um, comment on or you know mm-hmm. about that issue so yeah as you were navigating that particular I guess risk or leap mm-hmm. the the idea of trying to to write about something that's not your personal experience mm-hmm. but that matters deeply to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and not wanting to just appropriate it. Yeah. Or were there outside of maybe using the persona as a as a guide or a form? Um, were there other things that helped you to navigate that that question of how do I approach this thing mm-hmm. with respect? And well, and some of that was the use of like mythology or mm-hmm. folklore, um, and sort of those those stories that appear or types of stories or archetypes that may appear over and over in many different cultures or traditions um, as a as a way in or, you know, as a way of taking somebody familiar and to the reader, like Bigfoot or mm-hmm. I, I did Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz and other things that would be immediately obvious to most readers who they were and then, um, and then try to put my spin on it by being that person's daughter but not that person and so for me that was sort of a way a way into them um by creating a person that didn't exist mm-hmm. <laughs> bigfoot's daughter doesn't exist right. or you know amelia Earhart. they did her her daughter doesn't exist but now suddenly there's this person who doesn't exist who somehow has permission to to go there mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah you've mentioned <laughs> a, a little bit that you also write prose fiction is that also a venue for you to explore some of these things that feel like it's that there's more room to to really dig into them because it's through a fictional lens or any more words (laughs) (laughs) yeah um a little bit I'm fairly I'm new to it you know I've only been um doing it for about three years I used to write a lot of fiction when I was Hmm. a teenager and then abandoned it for a long time and um, and then came back to it because I had an idea for a story that I'd carried around for a long time. They knew it wasn't a poem. And I'm like, I don't write fiction. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> so, but I had a um, an opportunity to be at a residency program and I had all this suddenly all this time and space and I was like, well, I just mm-hmm. try it. And so, yeah, the ones, the stories I'm writing now are also on the Anthropocene and climate mm. change. And so I'm I'm actually really enjoying this process of writing about the same subject matter in two different genres, which I've never really done yeah. before. And so I feel like they're um, really in conversation with each other. And some issues maybe I can, I can get at better in one of the stories and some I can get at better in the poems. And so that's been a really interesting process for me to sort of look at, look at those issues in different ways. And I, I tend to gravitate in the fiction I read, I tend to gravitate toward magical realism and Hmm. fabulism. And so I, that also is a way to sort of get at difficult material, I think, sometimes and, and take the reader places they're not expecting to go. And mm-hmm. so I've been, that's what I've been experimenting with is sort of that feel and genre as I'm talking about these larger issues. That's exciting. <laughs> yeah. Is, is any of your fiction out in the world where we can find it? There's one out in the world, but not online. Okay. Um, uh, there's a story called Ghost Ghost Bike that I wrote. This is not on the Anthropocene at all, but oh, okay, it was <laughs> right. But it was uh, but difficult subject matter. It was about um, a woman who's the um, mother of a 
of somebody who's gone into a high school and shot a bunch of people, and mm. it's written from the mother's perspective. And so, in that way, for me, it was it's, it was kind of a persona story taking on a different angle, looking at a situation, an angle that we really don't talk about as much. Mm-hmm. Um, that one's out in the world, but the others are um, trying to find their homes out in the world, and there's only okay. a handful of them done so far. It's a pretty new project, but um, yeah. hopefully they'll be out in the world soon. Yeah. Well, it's great to just yeah. kind of live in that space for a while. Yeah. When you're, it sounds like this is something that's just a new new process for you mm-hmm. or a return to an old yeah. process maybe and so giving it a little time to just for you to enjoy it before yeah. you have to share it with the world yeah, exactly <laughs> it's cooking and I have a I'm in both a fiction and a poetry critique group but the fiction group keeps saying these sound like big poems I'm like is that oh. a problem like, how is that a problem I'm okay with that yeah <laughs> so maybe they are I like the language this way so yeah For those of you just joining us, you're listening to The Occasion on KBOO Portland. I'm Jennifer Perrine, and we're talking with Brittany Corrigan. And Brittany, you brought some poems by other poets as well, right? I did. Did you read a couple of those for us? Yeah, so um, I'm going to start with this one because it sort of um, is on a similar topic as the the La Pelle du Vide poem I read um, a bit earlier in the program. So this is a poem by... um, Hannah Larrabee uh, from a book called Wonder Tissue, which also happens to be um, through Airly Press. And I really uh, admired this one when I was going through and um, it spoke to me when I was looking for some poems to bring today, um, also because of the subject matter. So it's called Edge. There's a chance we won't find music or the smallest particles. Attributors of mass and tiny strings, vocal cords and wavelengths. More news. There's a small moon circling Pluto, our denigrated planet, and it keeps a proper distance, like arched hands over piano keys. Those symbols on the page, clef and variable, both are exquisite physics. I think of a planet sunk into the folds of gravity, a violinist pressed into his instrument, rings destined to planets, strings kicking up chalk. Imagine. The edge of box partita number two in D minor, Chacon discovered. The vast reaches of space, only an outline on a chalkboard. A snail will abandon its shell for the humming inside cupped hands. And we sometimes catch ourselves jerking awake, hypnagogic tick, dreaming of a life in trees even a million years distant from that memory. If there is an edge... We have created it. Imagine the farthest galaxy falling off a razor blade. The fear is enough for us to grip hard with hands and teeth. We know what happens at the edge. So for me, that one, not only because it has sort of that lapel du vide feel to it as minded, but I also... um, I also was interested in that one because of the the leaps it was taking with the imagery and we go from from Bach to the you know to all these sort of the snail and all these seemingly mm-hmm. unrelated image uh images that I I liked the way that 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 Hannah Larrabee did that sort of bounce from image to image to sort of propel propel the poem forward and and take me in all sorts of different directions when yeah. I was reading it yeah yeah, there's something about that, the integration of, I think, music and astronomy, particularly mm-hmm. in that poem that struck me. Um, I think lots lots of poems integrate leaps of various kinds, for, like mm-hmm. from one image to another. But um, I think 
I really appreciate it in that the the bridging of the distance between an art and a, a science. Yeah. Um, I think that's often, those are really often set as opposites. And I think there's something about, especially when we think about climate crisis, mm-hmm. um, there's a way of drawing science and art together that can yeah. hopefully help us mm-hmm. to, to get a little more motivated. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to read another one for yeah, us? Yeah. So, um, and this one's sort of, it's sort of art and sciences. Oh, okay. Astronomies too. Great. <laughs> um, so this is a poem by Ada Lamone, who's my current favorite poet. I've got lots of favorite poets, but she is my current favorite because every single one of her poems knocks my socks off by the time mm-hmm. I get to the end of it, just imagery-wise and that little gasp at the end every time. So, um, so this is from um, her book, Bright Dead Things, and it's called The Other Wish. Nights, I wonder about the sanity of Icarus. Wax and wings, both wasted on the sun's scorch. If I'd a handmade, fanned-out, feathered set, me, I'd choose the moon, always the sister moon. Cold, comely queen of the sky, pockmarked with craters, pummeled by meteors, and still shining. Imagine the gathering on the shore, you holding my coat for a warm comeback. We mean a thing is impossible when we say we're shooting for that great orbital polar. How hard can you glow, asks the owl's eye. What radiant part of you wishes to dynamite? I used to think it was like a light bulb life, dangling in the chest, asking to be switched on. But it's not the light that's ever in question. Rather, what's your brilliant, glaring wattage? What do you dare to gleam out and reflect? If I were to fall, sabotaged wax, torn pinion, I'd want to fall from the terrifying height of her, the dust of my crazy years and flashing lit up by the victory of my disastrous flight. I don't know if I'd, I've read that book, and I don't know if I'd remembered that poem. That um, kind of surprised me too when yeah. I was looking through. I knew I wanted to bring something by Ada Lamone, and um, and I feel like as I was thinking about leaping, I kept landing on falling. So yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> so which I guess is what happens after. So yeah, and I've always been drawn to the to the story of Icarus, and I really liked the spin that she put on this one with um heading for the moon instead of the mm-hmm. the sun so yeah. yeah yeah i think that idea of of the fall right it's not mm-hmm. the leap that's terrifying it's the, it's the fall <laughs> it's the fall yeah yeah and so i know you've, you've read us those two poems and i know you brought a, a pile of books and <laughs> possibilities that that just sort of sparked something for you when you thought of mm-hmm. about the idea of leaping and i'm i'm always curious about just what gets what's get gets left out in the mm-hmm. editing process whether it's editing out you know what you might share with with an audience yeah. or you know in your own books and so it, are there in choosing those over some others mm-hmm. you know what kinds of choices were you making there of what to what to share some of it was the choice between darkness and light and yeah <laughs> i think some of these land a little in between because i had ones that were even darker you know and i was in thinking about the topic, I, I mean, this is great. Themes are great, and the 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 um, especially one that's 
just a word like that mm-hmm. leap that it can go so many different directions and when I was thinking about it I was like all right there's like literal leaping and I had you know a poem I of mine that I had written about my fear of grasshoppers which I'm oh. scared to <laughs> death of and about them jumping all over me I'm like that's like literal leaping and then there were you know much darker ones um I had thought about bringing um, Vizuala Zimborska's poem about the photograph from 9-11 about the, mm. the people leaping mm-hmm. out of the buildings. And and that was uh, similar to another poem I had um, I had run across um, in uh, of Maggie Smith's in Good mm. Bones. That's also um, about it's about a mother jumping from a window with her baby strapped to her. And they just seem oh, so wow. dark. But yeah. it but it was a different kind of of leaping, I guess, Mm -hmm. these leaps that aren't the uh, positive sort of leaping forward or even risk-taping leaping forward, but really the finality leaping. And so, I, yeah, I left those aside, but it was something I was thinking about as I was starting to choose, like, where do I want to go with leap? And I was, I did some reading about, I hadn't even heard about Robert Bly's leaping poetry. And so I started, (laughs) like, looking for poems about leaping. I was like, oh, I mean, of course, I, like, reading about it, I was like, well, yeah, we do this all the time. Mm-hmm. We make metaphorical leaps or artistic leaps or an imaginative leaps, but I'd never really read about it in that way. And so then I started thinking of things that way, like, you know, what can I bring that takes, goes that, goes those places with imagery or whatever that isn't maybe talking about a literal leap, but is, yeah. is actually leaping within the, the structure of the poem itself. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate you naming some of those those other poems that you were mm-hmm. thinking about reading that I think, you know, thinking about the leap of made out of desperation yeah. is important too. And also know that maybe in this moment n- need poems that, that offer us other kinds of yeah. other kinds of leaps. I also appreciate you sharing that you're afraid of grasshoppers. They're I'm totally afraid I'm of afraid of crickets and whenever <laughs> I share that with folks they find it really funny and <laughs> Like they're scary, yep. they're upsetting. Yeah. <laughs> As we're talking about leaps, are there other, especially that kind of risk-taking leap? Are there other artists, whether they're poets or maybe other kinds mm-hmm. of writers or musicians or maybe even not artists as we tend to think of that term, but mm-hmm. other folks who really who you look to when you're when you want to take that kind of creative leap and are maybe reluctant mm-hmm. to. I go back again and again um, to Sharon Olds, hmm. who I was introduced to, in, I think, in college sometime, and um, uh, and I still go back to <laughs> and, and continue to come to as she puts out new books, but because of, I think, her, her risk-taking and her ability to sort of just go there with anything that's, that's uncomfortable or messy or sexual or whatever it is and just full she's just full in and so Mm -hmm. I I often come back to her to to give myself permission to like like she went there so I can clearly (laughs) go over here so yeah so I come back I come back to her a lot um, I mentioned Natalie Diaz bef- before, who I, I come back to be- with that sort of repetition of image and mm-hmm. um, and uh, just just masterful masterful use of of imagery and and um, exploration of things really in depth and with this great just language that uses also sort of that repetition and pr- the propulsion forward. I love her work. 
And I come back to Joy Harjo as well. Mm. I really love her work. And I, I was also introduced to her, I think, in college. And one of the things we talked about was the sort of the, the spiral of time um, as mm. opposed to time as linear. And mm -hmm. so for me, I, I liked that too, that sort of leaping around in time-wise as if it were all happening at the same time. That mm -hmm. was really interesting to me within within her work. So uh, yeah, definitely a favorite. Yeah. <laughs> Are there are there folks outside of um, poetry or that that you also look to for that kind of creative risk taking or mm -hmm. uh, um, in fiction? My current favorites are um, Karen Russell um, and Kelly Link. Mm. Um, lots of magical realism, yeah. just bizarre. But I find myself like just Im immersed and I'm, I never know where I'm going when I start. And I love that. I love not knowing where I'm going. But then once I'm in, I'm very situated in, in place. And it's not a familiar place. And it's not a place that I could have come up with. But I'm fully there. And I love mm -hmm. how both of them create these, these landscapes that are um, really immersive and just yeah, that I just feel like I'm inside of, <laughs> even yeah. though they're completely strange and bizarre. So I'm I'm very drawn to both of their their work. Is there some so. is there something <laughs> about you know, when you think about those unfamiliar places or maybe the more familiar but mm. uncomfortable places that yeah. someone like Sharon Olds can take yeah. us to? Is it is there a way that you think that those writers are able to allow us to enter into those unfamiliar or uncomfortable mm -hmm. spaces and? and make them feel more familiar or comfortable? Or do you think they just let it let us go into the right the discomfort and Well and maybe a little <laughs> of both because I think it's good to go into the discomfort. Mm -hmm. And I think for me with reading Sharon Olds it was or I think with sort of with any of these sort of risk taking authors, even if you're someone who may not be brave enough to say that yourself, there's you would maybe identify with it or like, mm -hmm. that's my experience. I may not be able to talk about it, but that's my experience too. And so um, I like that about them, that that they're the ones who are, who are maybe brave enough to put the words to it, but it's an experience that it's not just theirs, you mm -hmm. know, that, that many people may be having that experience. And it's nice that somebody's giving voice to it, which then hopefully somewhere down the line gives other people permission mm -hmm. to put voice to it too, or, or inspires them to do so, or makes them feel safe doing so, or whatever, whatever it is to help them come, help folks come to mm -hmm. maybe exploring that in their own lives, even if it's not something they share with, with somebody else, but mm -hmm. to give themselves permission to think about it or. Yeah. 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 I, I'm not, a, I'm not afraid of the difficulty. I think I've always liked that. I've never, I've never wanted to in, in what I'm reading, be safe while I'm reading it. I guess mm -hmm. I, I, I want that experience of, of the difficult or the uncomfortable or, or it's going to make me cry or it's going to make me feel terrified or what I, I want that process. I want that in, in the art that I'm consuming and enjoying and, I want that experience. Yeah. So I don't. I don't want to close myself off from from that or not read something because I think it's going to upset me. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to to go there. Yeah. <laughs> to go there with that writer or with that subject matter and experience it too. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and if we're not able to to be willing to take that that leap to yeah to break the taboo mm -hmm. in in the privacy of our own space with our you know where yeah. we're just us with the you know the book that we're reading. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, how, how are we ever going to get to the space where we can do that with each other around, you know, in relationships and communities? And Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah. Might as well start there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Brittany, it's been a pleasure talking yeah. with you. And thank, thank you. you for being the first guest of the <laughs> <Absolutely>. occasion. <laughs> and thanks to all of you listening out there. And good night. Thank you.